Okay, that was over with. Now, is the time for the leader to qualify? Oh, please stand so we may all see and hear. We ask that you keep your focus on recovery. Of, oh, this is to me. I'm reading my own notes. All right, so we have um, the timer ready, and I'm ready to go. Okay. All right, I'll start. What's that? Okay, good. Well, hi, everyone. I'm Adam, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, and this is the first time I, I've been at this meeting, even though I've, I've been around for a little while. And I also found out, like, maybe it was told to me that it's 30 minutes, and <laughs> it's being recorded, and they're going to ask me questions. And I'm like, you know, do you also need, like, you know, the last 10 years of tax returns? And anyway, I was a little intimidated, you know, but I'm here. And I've decided that rather than take extensive notes, I'm going to do my best to just speak from my heart, because I do a lot better with that. Um, although I, since it's 30 minutes, I did take a few notes. Anyway, um, what was it like? Um, I can tell you one thing about what it was like is that it's not that, I'm not that far away from the disease. It's really, really easy for me to access what it's like because I carry the disease with me all the time. I kept, you know, thinking somehow one day I'll be cured, I'll be past this. And I realized, you know, the hard way that it doesn't work that way. So what it was like was the disease I have now, but without any of the consciousness, without any of the program, without any, you know, with all the denial. Like, for example, I used to think I love to eat. Okay, that was like, oh, I just love to eat. Now I realize that's like, kind of like saying I, I love the warden. You know, I love, the, I love my prison cell. You know, those the bars just set off my eyes. You know, whatever. It was just, it was just, you know, um, it, 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 to me, I didn't get that I'm in, I was imprisoned by my addiction to food. Um, and also, my childhood wasn't, like, I can't point to this, like, trauma. You know, I don't have these really, you know, extravagant, you know, extreme stories that a lot of people have. And it made me almost wonder, God, am I really qualified to get up here and speak? You know, am I really, you know, because there's a real perfectionist that lives inside of me. And I'm like, oh, I'm just not a superstar here. I'm not, you know, the one. But I recognize, um, I've heard people say, yeah, you really want to be like a superstar in an insane asylum, you know. But, um, you know, because my ego, I kind of do, you know. I want to pretend that I walked in here, you know, 5,000 pounds, but I didn't. Um, I didn't have all these um, extreme things, but uh, the miracle, and I'll get to this later, but the miracle is after years and years of serial dieting, you know, um, and what I mean is like, if I look at my photos, it's like fat, 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 thin, fat, 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 thin, you know, it, but there was nothing in between. And now, for the, the miracle is that for the last, seven years I'm in like a size 34 pants for example that never happened before that is something that was not going to happen being who I was the type of overeater that I am just me I was never able to create that on my own um, and it took me a long long time <laughs> to get in the program you know I was already um, in my late 40s so um, I had a lot of experience <laughs> with um, step one. Uh, the great amount of experience in step one, which is just eating and living in the disease. Um, so my, I have some memories 
of my childhood that were, I knew that I had a different approach to food. That, here's like little clues. Like I remember they had these little trays in school and they had these little nice compartments so your peas didn't get mixed up in your, you know, Salzburg steak or whatever else they decided to call food. I remember it was 35 cents. <laughs> it's a little while ago. <laughs> I was born in the 50s. So, um, yeah, and I remember like scraping, like just like excavating, you know, like as the food was gone. And I remember this girl who I thought was kind of cute was staring at me. And I looked up and I just had this like, like shock and horror that I was busted, you know, just because without thinking I would do things like that. Um, I remember, um, you know, learning from the pros, like my grandfather was like, you know, a world-class overeater. Um, what, you know, Dick, and he used to like, you know, darling, this is all chicken there, like I'm not eating, you know. Because when he would, when he would finish, you know, a chicken, it was like an archaeological dig. I mean, they could excavate things that had more meat on them, you know. And, you know, the wind whistling through the bones, you know. And, and I actually inherited that, you know. I actually did inherit some of that. If I go to a Pollo Loco today, it's like, you know, it's like an animal at the water hole, you know, and it's just like I want to lay under the table. Bones, by the way, anything with a bone in it, it turns me into a beast. And it's something I have to be, even though it's not part of my abstinence, I have to be cognizant of them public. And there's a bone to chew on. i got to be careful because I'm likely to crawl under the table and just make talk to no one until all the meat's gone and it's completely clean. And this is, you know... So, but those little subtle cues were there when I was a kid, and I do remember feeling different. I also have memories of sitting there just, just thinking about the next meal. Like, that's what was getting me through the day, was thinking about the next meal. And why was that? Part of it, by the way, my kid's sitting here. This is interesting. You know, I got my, I call him my outer child, you know. He's, he's He's like staring at me, so I, I, I'll try not to censor it. There's nowhere else for him to go today. Um, um, so where was? Oh yeah. So I have some of the other subtle cues is that you know I just to me I wasn't socially graceful. My brother was, even though he was an overeater. So I can't just totally blame it on that. Um, but I did know that the food was something that was always there. It was my friend. It was consistent. It was reliable. It showed up. I know we've all heard this, but if you haven't, this was, you know, what it was for me. Um, I could count on it. It was instant gratification. It was just reliable. It was familiar. And um, as I progressed, it got worse and worse and worse. Uh, there were times in college when I was already, you know, should have been dating. I was way too shy to talk to girls or, you know, I was, you know, going from one fast food place to another, which was demoralizing. Um, it was demoralizing because I was really hurting myself. I was also putting on weight. And I'm, I'm one of those bodies that I look like a jelly apple, so I look like a pregnant man. It's not, it doesn't look good. Um, and it's also dangerous because um, it's a dangerous place to hold the fat. Um, it's not like you know, my mom's side of the family had the pear-shaped bodies and, you know, we were like my dad's side of the jelly apples. I inherited that and, it's, and I lost my dad um, at 53, you know, which was already, you know, a few years ago. So, from my life. So, um, I passed him by a few years ago is what I'm trying to say. So, I'm also really aware that I don't get away with a lot. 
Um, I may not be the biggest guy in the room. I could easily be the deadest. Um, so going, you know, more of what it was like, I mean, that's what I really, really remember is um, I remember learning how to diet, which was, which was pretty cool because I actually was able to seize control for a short amount of time. Um, it was kind of intoxicating. And I just still remember, and this is all through Bill's story, which is like, this is what I did this morning. I was just reading that again because it is the master share of what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. And I remember him talking about laughing at the gin mills. And, you know, I remember those times where if I had a thin body for like a nanosecond, I would, you know, have that crazy thought like I'm cured. I'll never do that again. You know, um, I've had those thoughts many, many times. Uh, and it's crazy how intoxicating those belief systems that I use to protect myself can be and how I buy into that stuff. Um, we still have more time. It's about 10 minutes here, right? Okay. Okay. <laughs> still doing what it's like. Not that I have to stick that closely to it. But uh, it, it was a, um, um, a situation. That type of um, thinking just um, was pervasive. Um, I always remember that diet felt like punishment to me. The first time I encountered one was my brother who was heavy being on a diet and just seeing him suffering through it. You know, he just wasn't feeling the love. Um, and there was no empowerment in it. It was just this control thing and then if you really clinch down and work hard at it, you'll get somewhere. And that's what it was to me and I was always deferring like when I weigh this then life will start when I can get down to this you know amount of weight loss then life will start and I also always looked at thin people that they had some magical powers um, you know I immediately thought higher of them because you know and at the same time resented them anytime someone's sitting there and they're not even finishing their plate it infuriates me for one thing you know like, how could you not be, you know, consuming all of that? Why dare you leave something on your plate? And how dare you not, you know, have the need to finish it? How dare you just be able to have a normal relationship with food? Um, and, you know, many, many times I'd be sitting there at a, at a table where the pizza is, where everyone's sitting around it, not engaged in the conversation with the people, but figuring out how I could get the largest piece there without be looking like a pig and waiting for other people. You know, it's just all that crazy scheming. Um, and again, knowing I'm different, knowing that I'm not normal. In high school once, you know, when we were doing some recreational stuff, um, we were eating um, some cereal and we all like got kind of munched out reading the cereal. They all went off to their little adventures. They came back, I don't know, a half hour later, and there's Jeffro still just like in that giant bowl of cereal, and then they just like hit the floor laughing. And I just sat there like, you know, with this, this out-of-control beast, um, feeling really, you know, demoralized, humiliated. But I didn't know that there was a way out. I didn't know that um, what I had was a disease. I didn't know that there was ever a book, a chapter in a book called The Doctor's Opinion that was written about addiction, even though it was written about alcohol, that was written about a malady that some of the most brilliant people in the world have. Um, I had some you know, great opportunities to be around Oprah and talk about um, an, a one-woman empire that struggles with this. How can somebody that powerful 
struggle with this yet. It is, so, you know, I do get the other perspective, even though I'm still really, really good at beating myself up. So one of the things that developed within me was this really um, horrible tyrant that's part of my disease. It's like a facet. And this tyrant would be, you should know better, you know, shame on you. And, you know, it was always just like getting me alone in the woodshed, as we have a friend of ours would say, and just beating the living crap out of me. And, of course, like any abusive relationship, you go back and I would just continue. And that was kind of where that cycle also started, where I would, you know, the way to comfort myself from the horrible tyrant was to comfort myself with food, because I had no other tools. I didn't know how else to comfort myself. If I had them, I probably would have done them. I just, they were foreign, they were foreign to me. So I went back, and then of course, what does that do is it brings the tyrant on even in a more fierce way. So that was a vicious cycle that I kind of lived in. And I also, I see my family growing up, they were, we were really, really nice people. Um, the nicest people you could be. I'm a really nice guy, which was hell to first go through like, you know, the steps is like, what, I have nothing wrong with me. You know, I didn't realize, of course, that I'm all burned up on the inside and angry at everybody else, but that's a little on that later. Um, so, really nice people. Um, it's hard to, um, you know, there's nothing to be angry at, you know. As a matter of fact, I couldn't, I didn't know what an emotion really was because we were really nice, but nobody really expressed emotions. Like my mom, her emotion came up, she would like immediately clobber it with a ladle or something, you know. She just, she just knew how to, you know, do that. And it's like we just automatically turned the food. This is like when we got together, it's like, let's eat, you know. And what else is there to do? Um, we never talked about our feelings. I never questioned that my parents loved me. We just never talked about our feelings. Okay. Okay, great. Um, so... Forgive my tangents because this is, I'm better off going this way. Um, so, the um, I guess you know the biggest thing about um, what was I just talking about? The uh, help me out here. Feelings. Yeah, the feelings, the emotions. Thank you. <laughs> See how checked out I wanted to get? I'll just go get something to come back. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so it was not. Um, it was it was really hard to navigate emotions. We just didn't have any tools for it, so the food was like the instant thing to do. Um, and it took me a while. It took me a while to realize that uh, there are things called emotions. I experience them, and I act react based on them. Um, that took work. That took doing the steps. Now, when I first came to OA. Um, I remember the first meeting I went to, I think it was a how meeting actually, so you know, starting off easy. And it was, um, and there were all women in there, and I don't know if any of them were working it. They didn't seem very happy. And, <laughs> and I kind of was like, thank God I'm not one of these people. And I kind of held that way. And then I had more eating to do. I had more, you know, proving to myself that I couldn't do it. Um, trying to prove that I could. I mean, I got scared straight. I really did not want to qualify. I did not want to be an overeater. I went to the ends of the earth to prove that I could control this and I was not an overeater. That was um, a huge part of step one for me. Um, so a lot of my step one, of course, I guess all of us is living. And, and I had my, my child here, my outer child, and he, um, and I had every reason to stay alive. Because, I mean, it's really the two of us. 
um, to a large extent. And when I recognized that I was still really hurting myself with food, I mean, he would be a baby, I would put him to bed, I would do this, and that was my time for myself, and then it would be a big one-man party. Um, and that's another thing about this disease. Is for me, it's very isolative. I never had big buddies. I was always very ashamed of it. I never boasted about, like, you know, kids talk about how much they drank in high school. I never, like, boasted about how much I ate the night before. It's just, it's just nothing sexy about that. Um, there was this Carl's Jr. commercial. I'll never forget. There's, like, this bare bulb, and this guy just sitting there in a wife beater, and he's, like, you know, isolated, and it's, like, and I forget their whole ad campaign is, like, you know, oh, don't bother me. I'm eating. You know, and it was like, wow, okay, Madison Avenue, you figured that one out. Um, because that was, you know, me. I wanted to eat in the dark. And this is what I would do. So around that time, uh, I really recognized that, and I was even drinking a little bit too, with wine, which is like sugar food to me. And, you know, I still have on the fence around that one a little bit. But, you know, I recognized that um, I was, this wasn't working. And I needed to take some action. I needed to take some contrary action. So I went back to the rooms. And the first thing that I recognized is, and I really, I still, again, was comparing myself more than identifying. But there was something that kept me coming back. One of the things, if you're new, and this really helped me, is somebody said, if nothing else is, because I would go to a meeting, listen to everybody, go out and binge. And one of the things that really helped me is somebody said, have sober feet. Just have sober feet. Get yourself into the rooms. Don't worry about whether or not you're abstinent right now. Don't worry about what the program looks like. Just show up. And I really, really, that like made a huge difference to me because somehow, magically, I ended up in the rooms. Um, and, and there's an old, I love the kids. The catchphrases are amazing, by the way. One of them is keep coming back till a miracle happens. And eventually it did. And... Um, it was just hearing, and eventually one day, hearing a bunch of people speak, some of them maybe like me didn't feel qualified, eventually one of them I started to identify. I started to identify more than I was just comparing. And that's where the surrender started to take in. That, yeah, you know, it's a wee disease. I really relate. Like, that's my experience up there. And that's where um, I really started to, um, it started to take some roots. Um, I even now I really look at my recovery as a gift I really see it as if I I need to position myself and let God do the the work you know um, it took me a long time to get that like I thought I had because after all if I'm playing God all the time I'm controlling everything all the time Um, and this was the surrender was a learning how and I'm jumping way way ahead but learning how to see the recovery as a gift and treat it that way, treat, hold it with that level of secrecy. Now, on the God thing, when I first came in also, very freaked out, did not want any religion. I didn't want anybody telling me what to do. I really related to Bill as like, you know, enough of that malarkey, you know. Um, I didn't, I had bad experiences because to me, I, I even like, as a Jew, was a born-again Christian for like two years when I was like 18 and, you know, was a real butthole around it and had a horrible experience and completely turned away from anything to do with God. And I recognized that that God that I had, that God that I related to, really reflected my inner tyrant. That um, 
I had a tyrannical God because the only parenting I knew about that I was doing the parenting that I wasn't getting myself. So I was attracted to that harsh, mean, and then at the same time I was scared of it and repelled from it. That harsh, mean thing. I even like got abusive relationships with other people. Like I really trusted people that were um, truthful instead of nice all the time because I grew up around nice that were truthful yet abusive. Um, And I collected people like that. Because they're the only ones I trusted. You know, it was kind of the Groucho Marx syndrome about not wanting to, you know, join a club that would have you as a member. So I didn't stay away from the people that accepted me and was kind of drawn toward the meanies. Um, and then my God, my, and that, I didn't recognize that till later, but that was my view of spirituality too. So I was kind of drawn to it and yet repelled from it at the same time. So by the time I came into the rooms, I had had it. I did not want any, I was really freaked out about anything to do with God. And part of that was, as I had to have the burden of figuring everything out. So I had to be able to take God and, like, you know, stick it in a box and make sure I understood every aspect of it, have the user manual, you know. And, um, I, and it was exhausting. It's really exhausting, so I wanted nothing to do with it. It wasn't until I got into the program and really started to embrace powerlessness that there was a framework that made sense because, and also my view of God was like what we call like this, the 911 Santa Claus God, like, you know, there's no atheists in foxholes. You know, when I was desperate enough, um, there was the, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please, but do it on my terms. You know, give me what I want. One of the great educations I've ever had around that is having my son because I can't always give him what he wants. <laughs> Um, you got to make sure he gets what he needs and that has you know that's probably one of the best teachers that God ever brought into my life thanks Josh um, and uh, there's more of that to come um, so I think a lot of um, me getting into uh, understanding the higher power where am I at? two minutes left oh okay wow okay I didn't think I could do this. So, I guess one of the biggest shifts that's really come out to me is letting two things. One is, there's a difference between faith and faith for me. Faith, Josh, close your ears, was a fucking answer for everything. And faith is really being able to live inside the unknown and to experience God from a whole different place than I ever have before. Um, One of the greatest benefits I've also had from being in program is I let go of perfectionism. Perfectionism is... um, um, and my abstinence is interesting because, you know, it says what we abstain from is, is, is compulsive overeating. And I can't say I abstain a hundred times every day from compulsive overeating. I can abstain from flour and sugar, and I do, but we're not flour, sugar, anonymous. So it's interesting how I'm realizing my abstinence does not necessarily, it's a necessary tool, but it doesn't define my recovery. My recovery has to come from working the steps. And I got to the place where diets were all I knew, and I was ready to go out. And that's where I, that's when I started doing the steps. The first two years, was a, this was a diet with a social club. Um, when I started, and another thing I really learned, because I have a short time here now, is um, um, that the, the steps, no one step, like the fourth step doesn't make any sense before the third. If I'm still playing God, there's no way I'm going to do an inventory. That's way too painful. If I'm willing to recognize that I don't have to be perfect and I could be fallible and that there's a power greater than me, 
now the fourth step actually makes sense. Um, and, and onward and upward. It didn't even make sense to like um, recognize that you know my thinking's crazy, um, with, <laughs> you know if I'm still playing God. And um, I heard this one spiritual man say something that really stuck with me. He said, "The ego was sitting in God's throne, in like our disease, and and God said to the ego, "Why are you sitting in my throne?" And the ego said, "Because I can." And then God said, "Well, how do you know you can?" And the ego said, "Because I've always done it." You've always allowed it. And God said, that's because I allow everything. I'm an all-allowing God. But you have to know that if you want to play God, it's a big job. There's a lot of consequences. So I guess that's it, right? All right, thank you. Okay, after this is read, this is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leaders, uh, leader is, are my own. And not those of our readers anonymous as a whole. That's probably very true. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself if being recorded. Uh, please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. If being recorded, please restate the question after it is asked. Okay. Um, questions? Yeah. Yeah. But um, what uh, I'm wondering about is, since you describe yourself as a nice guy, I suspect you are a nice guy, and you cause little harm. Well, don't push how it. Do you figure out what, <laughs> how do you figure out what amends you need to make, and how do you figure out whether they were truly things you had done on the outside, or whether you just needed to feel differently? You know, that really came up for me. Okay, the question I'm supposed to repeat was, how did I know when I needed to make an amends versus something I was feeling on the inside? Um, a lot of it was, a lot of my, a lot of what I did was beat myself up. But what happened was, and this is something that I have a hard time receiving. When you have a hard time receiving, what I recognize when I have a hard time receiving is I rob other people. Um, and they all, you're also, I create a burden for people. I create a burden that, um, in several ways. For one, I do get resentful. Um, I would be passive aggressive since I wasn't aggressive. And there's a lot of that type of thing that I, you know, became, entered my consciousness when I started to do what was my part in things. So I did really get to see what my part was instead of it being all them. And so there was a lot of areas like that and also just areas where I've really just held back. And, you know, it was a burden. It's like, well, you're wounded and you hand here, take care of my wounded child. That's no fun for anyone. So there's, there's actually plenty of amends. Um, anyone else? Um, Thank you very much. Uh, could you talk about how your relationships inside of yourself have changed today? How you how you're doing with getting closer or whatever your defense might have been that, that you had. Okay. Um, so I, 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 rather than repeat, I think this mic's pretty good. You're allowed. So um, basically, um, I feel that I'm a different, kinder more accepting. I, I allow a lot more space for my humanity right now than I did. I feel a lot closer that I'm not terminally unique in a bad way or in a, in a superior way. They're all flip sides of the same coin. Um, I relate a lot more. I feel um, more compassion. Like one example, and this is crazy, but I even get angry at people that were overweight because I had so much self-loathing. 
And one of the things that really shifted now, if someone's in their disease, is just compassion. And when I sponsor, one of the things I meant to also say before is sponsoring is what really has kept this program alive in me. Um, and I come from much more of a place, less a place of judgment and more of a place of compassion. And I came in the program with some very judgmental um, sponsors that really didn't work. And I could really see the difference when you're coming from really having a loving relationship with a higher power and being in good relationship with your fellows, which is a direct reflection of it as far as I'm concerned. If you're mistreating other people, you're really at unrest inside. And, uh, and really allowing space for other people's humanity when I allow space for my own and uh, having compassion. Yeah. You said that. Um, so how, you know, how do you incorporate that? How do I abstain from compulsive overeating? That is um, an ongoing thing. I'm only as good as the mental state that I'm in at the moment before I eat a meal. I'm not going to say lie to you and say like I have these perfect meals. You know, now I got to tell you something. I have been thinner than this. I have been much more weighed and measured than this, and I've been a whole lot crazier too. Um, in other words, I knew a lot, as I've, as I've heard people say, I knew a lot about a lot, a lot about nothing, and little about some. I'm not some world-class restrictor or anything. I'm actually, I suck at that, and I've never been a bulimic. Um, but, um, you know, uh, the, uh, but the bottom line is, is that, um, I'm, I know I kind of got tangented off, but, um, how do I abstain from it? It's pretty much the mental state that I'm in at the moment. It's the work that I do. Yeah, it is a lot easier to not navigate flour and sugar. I've been in rooms where there's just like cupcake sculptures, and I thank God my name's not on them. It's a big help. However, it doesn't rule, you know, my med- In other words, it's not, that's not my recovery. That's just the entrance to recovery. The actual recovery for me has to be working the steps, living the steps more than anything else. Just living them with other people, which is where you get, when you get in touch with fellows and sponsoring and things like that, is what really does it. How do I know when it's my will or the will of my higher power for the audience here? Um, I, I think that's really the serenity prayer, which is the best way I've ever heard it. And a lot of you have heard this is skin in, skin out. Um, you can only change um, things on the outside. And, and um, You know, I think one of the biggest things is, is that's really about being present. To know, um, it's like being on the plane of intuition that it talks about on page 86. Um, it, when we first, it's clunky in the beginning. We don't know. I think the more we walk in a space with not playing God, you know, being open, listening more, it becomes much more evident when something's my will. For one thing, if, <laughs> when it comes to food, if I really, really want something really bad, it's probably my will. Um, that's the simple thing. The food's just a pull pad for me to spirituality. Um, the beautiful thing about the food is when you address it, it's a really easy way for us to get there without, like, killing ourselves with other things. Um, I'm grateful that I'm an overeater for that reason. Um, but uh, um, to get back, how do I really know? It's just, it's, it's um, when the animal in me is getting really worked up, it's probably my will. You know, when I'm not listening, when I'm not focused, when I'm not slowing down and breathing and really taking in what's going on.
Hey, Josh. Can you talk about sponsorships and how you work with your sponsor and sponsors? Yeah. Um, <laughs> not your dad's sponsor. <laughs> you can ask him. But because um, <laughs> I'll tell you the truth, I wish that my I wish I could be to my sponsor what my sponsees are to me, and that's telling the truth. Uh, my sponsees are not all of them. Okay, I have a variety of them. The biggest shift, the biggest shift with sponsees and me is the biggest thing I encourage is honesty. I don't. I tell you know men coming in because I only sponsor men that if you eat you know a, a whole box of Girl Scout cookies, as long as you know we know the Girl Scouts aren't missing, I'm not going to like you know call the police. In other words, I really you need honesty. You know that's the only thing. Even in the beginning, if you're, if you're binging, get into the details. In other words, that's where you get a relationship with the truth. So the biggest thing I think with sponsoring is I really encourage honesty, and I'm not a punitive sponsor. I'm a sponsor that says, let's look at that. You know, how is that working for you? It's like listen and ask questions and do a lot less preaching. Um, and I've grown into that. I used to preach a lot. And I used to try to give, you know, lessons that... Um, I would short circuit them and rather they you know no one's going to get a lesson they're not ready to get anyway so you're better off just letting them do what they need to do and just guide them and love them and uh, mirror the truth that's all you can do Ellie I know you had a question yeah uh, thank you Adam what do you do on a daily basis you know the most the biggest thing I do is talk to my sponsees and the only reason that that's great because that is external and I am, I position myself knowing who I am to make sure the phone rings on that end. Um, I also do a 10 step. I do my vows. I'm not great at, um, I've sorted my technology out now, so I think I'm going to get better at relaying my food every day. It was a real hassle the way I was doing it. Um, and it's, to me, it's, um, Got to get more consistent with my sponsor. I'll admit that, but I do what I demand of my sponsees. But um, it's to me, it's um, I don't do as much reading and writing as I would like, but I do a lot of fellowship, and I go to meetings. And to me, that is like a bottom line. That if I mess that up, I'm in big, big trouble. Oh, need to do it a lot more. That's the one thing I feel that. Um, and, and ironically, I do ask sponsees to write about things. So I just got to start eavesdropping more on my phone conversations. And <laughs> which, is, which is, by the way, a great gift for sponsoring because I always say to people, to my sponsees, you're ready to sponsor. And in Akron, Ohio, um, they were a week sober and they were bringing drunks through. And you will eventually, you know, the message comes through you. It just comes through you, so you better listen to it. And, of course, writing is one of those things. Um, the times I have written, it's been, what it does is it, it shows me the circles that go in my head. Because it lands on the paper, I'm going, oh, yeah, that hot mess. You know what I mean? And I, it, it's almost like the paper just kind of releases it, almost like toilet paper, because it, a lot of it is shit. You know? It's like... You know, I read it, and I'm going, oh, yeah, yeah, that is just my shit. That's all that was. It's nothing more than that, unless it's ruminating, and it's hard to catch it and figure out what it is. So thanks for bringing that up. How much time do we have? All right, come on, go ahead. Thank you so much.
He doesn't want to affect share me with anybody, but um, <laughs> now that he's here. Um, I'm divorced. I am not currently in a relationship. Um, I want to convince myself I'm just too busy, but I think a lot of it is because I, a lot of my relationships reflected my disease, and I kind of then brought up a little bit, I would play these roles with people. I would find abusive people. Um, I was really good at that. Um, I was also a great caretaker and a bad receiver. So now that I'm starting to get balanced, I'm really giving myself an opportunity to slow down a little bit and not go for um, the bad food. Like relationships are similar to food for me. I like, like, a, like hot, spicy, fatty, junky, sweet. You know, I go for unhealthy things. And I had a history of that. And now I'm starting to eat healthier. I have been. And um, I, I'm looking for, when I get into a relationship, I know it's going to be a lot healthier. Or I'm doing everything I can to ensure that it will be a lot healthier. Uh-huh. Um, well, the first default would be to go to the food. And if I have some good altitude, meaning like the rapids are always rushing. And if you're right in the rapids or you decide it might be a good idea to walk on some mossy rocks, I may end up in the water. Um, so thank God I've had enough altitude and I've done enough contrary reactions to assure, ensure that I'm above those rapids enough that I'm not going to get sucked in. Then um, I do turn to my fellows. Um, I will reach out. I'm also on a men's team, which is they're the ones who originally got me to go to OA because they knew I was in trouble, even if they're not qualified to deliver to me. And so I reach out now. I am much more in the company of others. Um, I feel a lot less isolated and a lot less, this is just my problem and nobody else will understand. Um, so that's probably the biggest thing. Um, no, I never had that blinding light on either direction. Um, I'm grateful. I'm lucky I'm here and I'm alive. Uh, I, it was like many, many, many moments of remorse. I was a, a, a serial, um, I'll never do that again, you know, emerging remorseful with a firm commitment never to do it again. I mean, the doctor's opinion totally resonated with me. It happened over and over and over again. The one, I guess, was when I really looked at the balance sheet and said, wow, I've been really thinking I got this handled for a really long time. I've, you know, lost thousands of pounds over and over again. So you know, on diet. So I think that it was coming to that realization and I'm just lucky. Nothing, I can't say there was that crystallized moment and I could easily be dead. So I think it's from the grace of God. Um, do I continue here? Okay. Um, now it's time for secretary announcements. Ah. Good morning, my name is Ellie.